Amen. Good to see you tonight. Thank you for being here. Thank you for praying for me. I feel much better tonight than I did last night. I, don't, I know I don't look any better, but I do feel better. So I appreciate your prayers. I've enjoyed the good singing, the good preaching. And I would like that first song. I liked it just because they were singing Grandpa's song. That was a blessing right there. And, uh, but uh, I appreciate all the good singing. Thank you for the good preaching, Brother Tony. Appreciate that. And thank you for allowing me to be part of the tent meeting. I want you to look with me in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at two verses tonight. Verse 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter number 11. I appreciate uh, all the kind things that folks have said and done uh, this week already. And the Lord's been good to us, hasn't He? Blessed us. He's a wonderful God, a sweet Savior, and a precious Lord. And I'm thankful for Him tonight. Here are two verses. And the first one, I think, is probably very familiar with us. Perhaps the second one, not quite so familiar to us. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Most of us have heard that verse sometime along the way. We've quoted it. We've, there's songs about it. Preachers have preached about it. But then there's verse 2, and I believe verse 2 goes along with it. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. I want to preach to you a little while tonight about that seven and that eight in verse number two. Now, it'll take us a few moments to get there, but I want to spend a few moments here. A young man emailed me. I have some young men, uh, young preachers that email me from time to time, and I'll email them back. Sometimes they'll tell me what they've been studying. Sometimes they'll tell me what they were preaching. Sometimes they'll want to know what I'm preaching. And occasionally, uh, one of them will email me and, and uh, say, Brother McBride, I found a verse I don't know what to do with. And usually when they tell me what it is, I, t- I email them back and say, I don't know what to do with it either. But I'll study it. I'll find somebody who knows something about it. And uh, so a young man emailed me about this verse. He said, Brother McBride, I'm preaching out of Ecclesiastes, and I'm in chapter 11, and I'm at verses 1 and 2. And he said, I I think I've got an idea about verse 1, but I don't know what to do with verse 2. And so I I opened my Bible and looked at it and read about it a little bit. And and to be honest with you, I wasn't sure what to do with it either. So I studied a little bit, and God put something on my heart, and I want to share it with you tonight that I hope will be a help and an encouragement to you from this passage. Now, there are three things I'm going to say to you. It won't take me very long. I'm a three-point preacher, and I want you to notice three things in these two verses. Now, number one, I want us to think tonight about the context of the passage. The context of the passage is giving. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? The Bible said, cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. The context is giving. Talking about us giving what we have for the work of God. Now, the picture that that I see when I read this is a picture of a man sowing out in his field. Uh, The picture I get in my mind, he's got got a little pouch on him, he's got the strap over him, and he's out in his field, and he reaches out into the, down into the pouch, gets out the seed, whatever it is he's sowing, and he begins to sow it, throw it out in the field, and plant it. And he's doing that because 
he expects to reap one day. So we're talking about sowing and reaping. Now, if I think about it in the context of giving, there are several things that come to mind about my giving. First of all, I think it teaches us that our giving is silent. See, when you go out in your field and you're casting out your seed and planting, you don't make a big row about it because you're just doing what you're supposed to do. You don't call up the neighbors and say, Hey, everybody come and look. I'm sowing. Everybody come see what I've done. No, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. There are a lot of folks, they want to make a big noise about their giving. They want everybody to know, Well, I gave this or I, I did that. Or they want to make an announcement. But as we've already heard tonight over in Matthew chapter 6, if you do that, when you give your alms and you do it for men's applause, you have your reward. We're not even supposed to let one hand know what the other hand is doing. Not in the sense that we don't that we're not careful in our giving, that we're not that we don't have a plan in our giving, but that we don't make a noise about it. We don't draw attention to ourselves when we give. We're just doing what we're supposed to do when we're giving. That's part of the Christian life is to give. So we have it is silent giving, but then it is sacrificial giving. Now notice the Bible does not say, and this was the picture I gave you a moment ago, the Bible does not say that he's casting seed. You notice that? It said he's casting bread. Now do you remember what the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, and I believe it's Numbers, and then Jesus quoted it as he was uh, 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 being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. You remember what he said about bread? What did he say? Man shall not live by bread alone. Now what's the significance of casting bread rather than casting seed? Bread is all I have. It's what I need to live. It is my life. It is more than just the seed when you go to the Old Testament, you start reading about all those battles that went on in 1 Samuel, in Judges and in 1 and 2 Samuel. What are they fighting over? Bread. They're fighting over those fields where the barley is and where the wheat is. Why? Because they have to have bread. And when they went out in the feast of the first fruits and that wave offered and they went out and they took that sheaf and they waved it before the Lord, they were saying to the Lord, we're giving ourselves to you because that bread was what kept them alive. And so when we look at this giving, our giving is sacrificial. Our giving is we're giving everything we have. Somebody said, well, I tithe. That's good. That's a good place to start, but it's a lousy place to finish. You know, uh, somebody said, well, preacher, how do I judge if my giving is really sacrificial? Don't judge by what you gave. Judge by what you had left over after you gave. So well, I don't know about that. Apparently, that's how Jesus judged it. One day he's sitting and watching at the treasury and men are coming in and they're casting in all of this stuff and this little widow comes and she casts in what little bit she has and you know what Jesus said? said she has cast in all her living and he said she's given more than all of these rich men gave. He was judging her not by what she gave but by what she had left over. It's not what we give that shows how much we love him or whether we love him. It's how much we keep. How much we say is ours. 
and I'm hanging on to it. I'm ashamed to say that there was a time in the ministry when I didn't own anything that I didn't use in the ministry. But now I have collections. Got me? And you know what? I, I'm, I'm getting, Brother Jason, I'm getting like the man that had to build the bigger barns. I've had to, I've had to buy places to keep what I've been buying. Our giving ought to be judged. We ought to judge it not by what we gave, but by what we have left after we give. Our giving is sacrificial. So our giving is silent. Our giving is sacrificial. And then I think this teaches us because he said cast it upon the waters. I think our giving seems to be often senseless. Because if you cast bread upon water, you're probably never going to see it again. I was preaching down in North Carolina, and they put me up in this cabin, up on this trout stream, up on the mountain. And a beautiful place, and out, out in the front of it, I call it a cabin, but it was, it was much, they, that's what they called it. It's much nicer than just a cabin. And out in the front, they had a screened-in porch, and I could sit out there and read my Bible and study and pray a little bit. And out in front of that was a beautiful trout stream. Now, they tell me, and I don't know a lot about trout. I've never been trout fishing much, but they tell me trout have to have a clear stream. They can't live in dirty water. It has to be clear, and I'm telling you, it was a clear stream. I could sit out there, and I could watch things going by I could see trout down there in the water and the preacher came up and I was talking with him about where I was staying and thanking him and he said you know that that creek that's out in front of you I said yeah he said you know if you got in that creek if you had a kayak or if you had a tube or a canoe or something if you got in that creek and just started floating with it he said sooner or later you'd end up in New Orleans and I was in North Carolina and I thought to myself if I were to cast my bread upon that water I'm never going to see it again. Does it ever happen to you when you give that afterward it runs through your mind? I could have done something else with that. Am I the only carnal one that ever thinks that? You gave and I mean God put it on your heart and you gave it and then the brakes went out on the car. And you said, man, if I'd have kept that, if I'd have had a little, if I'd had a little more foresight right there, and if I'd have kept that. See, sometimes our giving seems to be senseless. We'll say to the Lord, Lord, how can I possibly give that and pay my bills? How can I possibly give what you've put on my heart? How can I possibly be sacrificial and still meet my obligations? Sometimes our giving seems to be senseless. The context of this passage is giving. If anybody in this whole world ought to know how to give and to love to give, it ought to be God's people who have had so much given to them. Now notice the second thing. The context is giving, but notice the consequence. The consequence of giving. Cast thy bread upon the waters. There's the context of giving. But watch this. For thou shalt find it after many days. Here's the consequence of giving. You know what it is? Getting. God promised it. Isn't that what he said? Thou shalt find it. Not maybe. It's a promise. 
You're going to, it's going to come back. God's going to take care of you. If you'll give, I don't think God will let you out give him. Uh, Jesus said, uh, give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, good measure shall men give unto your bosom. In the New Testament, Paul said, he that soweth uh, sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. We are exhorted again and again and promised again and again that if we give, God will give back. Amen. David said, I've been young and I've been old. I've yet to see the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. I don't have enough time tonight to stand up here and tell you all the times that God has blessed me in an unusual way and given to me. I remember when my youngest or my oldest daughter, Rachel, was born and uh, uh, Sherry had to go in the hospital. There was a, I was pastoring a little church in Goebbels, Michigan and uh, something, somebody messed up something as we were getting set up and, and all of a sudden we're going to have a baby and insurance is not going to cover the baby and so now Sherry has to go in the hospital and and uh, there's a big bill coming up and we don't have any way to pay it uh, but we were you know we were tithing and we were giving and supporting missions and God just took care of us one day I pastored in the poorest county in the state of Michigan at that time Van Buren County and when I would go in, there were people in our church who'd work all week long now and their take-home pay would be 60 bucks and I'd go into my office and there'd be a little, a little uh, uh, there was a little thing for mail and sometime I'd go in there and there'd be a check from one of my church members that they had given above their tithe. They wanted their preacher to have it. So here's a fella, he takes home $60 and he's written me a $2 check out of his 60 bucks that he took home. Sometime I'd come in and somebody makes 60 $70 and here's a $5 check they wanted their preacher to have over and above their tithe. So one day I'm standing in there. I got this big hospital bill coming up. And I'm standing in there and, uh, and uh, I'm talking to a fella and there's an envelope in my, in my little box and I'm pulling it out and you know how you do. I'm just kind of holding it up because I could see it was a check. I was holding it up to see what it was and I, I saw a two on there and, and so I, I thought, well, one of my church members give me a, a $2 check. They've given me out of there and I was thanking God while I was talking to that fella, you know, kind of in my spirit and so I'm ripping the top of it open and I'm pulling it out and there was a two on it, all right, and, but there's several zeros behind that two and Somebody to this day is a cashier's check. I don't I know where it came from, but I don't know who delivered it. It's a two thousand dollar check. God took care of me. I was telling, I was telling uh, uh, our dear brother Jeremiah yesterday, uh, I had an old van, a 2005 van, and I was, uh, I've got a 2011 that we travel and had this 2005 Chrysler Town & Country van. I say it's old because it's older than the one I normally drive. It had 220,000 miles on it. And so it's winter time, and we're traveling, and we kept it around so that in the summer when I do a meeting like this and the girls have to have a vehicle, they have one to drive. And so it's sitting in, all winter long, sits in the garage. And so I said to Sherry, you know, Rachel and Eric, they, they could use that van during the winter. It'd be better for them to drive it anyway than for just to sit. And she said, yeah, that'd be a good idea. So I called my son-in-law, and I said, uh, I got this van, would you, would you and Rachel want to use it? And it's easy to get the baby in and out of and all the car seat and all that. He said, yeah, we'll, we'll use it if you don't mind. So we took it down there. Well, springtime came. Everything been going good. But I had a bill come up, and I'm telling you, it was bigger than I could pay. It was more than I could handle. And so I'm trying to figure out. I, I started looking at what I could sell to pay this bill. 
And when I figured out what I did not need that I could sell and looked at it, I decided nobody else wanted it either. And I started praying, Lord, I got this bill and I can't, I can't handle it. I can't, I can't make it. A few days later, the phone rang and it's my son-in-law and he said, he, he calls me Papa. He said, now Papa, uh, Rachel's been in an accident. I said, an accident? He said, she's fine. Her and Jed were in an accident, but they're fine. I said, well, good, I'm glad they're fine. He said, but it was in your van. I said, my van? He said, they got rear-ended at the red light. Now, I was born and raised in Michigan. In Michigan, they have, you know this, what they call no fault, but they ought to call it your fault. Because no matter whose fault it is, it's your fault. But it's not like that in West Virginia. Whoever caused it, it's their fault. Well, I never had an accident. I never turned anything in. I've driven, I figured, a million and a half miles. The only accident I was ever involved in was a guy drove up across my yard through my driveway and smashed my van in front of my garage. It's the only accident I was ever in. So I didn't know what to do about this. And so I call, I, I, my son-in-law said, well, what do I do? I said, I don't know. So I asked somebody. They said, take it somewhere. Does it drive? Oh, yeah, just dent it in the back uh, hatch a little bit. The muffler uh, bent a little bit. The, the, uh, the uh, um, bumper was hanging down a little bit, but it drove fine. And, and so I, I went and I drove it up to Two Brothers Collision. And I went in there and I said, I got this van, been an accident. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. He said, do you have the information of the people that hit you? And I said, yeah, they hit my daughter. He said, well, do you have it? I said, yeah. He said, you got their insurance? I said, yeah. He said, call them. So I called them. I got the insurance lady and I told her what had happened. She said, we'll send an adjuster out. I said, okay. So in a few days, the adjuster called me. Now, this is a 2005 van with 220,000 miles on it that I paid $5,000 for about three years before this. And the adjuster called. He said, Mr. McBride, I've looked at your van. I said, okay. He said, we're going to total it. I said, you're going to total it? He said, we're going to total it. I said, it's just dented in on the back. He said, I know, but we're going to total it. I said, well, I don't know what all that means. I've never had this happen. How does this work? He said, well, basically, we're going to buy the van from you. I said, okay. I, I figured, you know, a couple thousand dollars. I said, what am I going to get? He said, $4,275. Now, I don't know why I said this, but I did. I said on the phone, is that the best you can do? I don't know why. I just, it just hit me. He said, I'll call you back tomorrow. He called me back the next day. He said, $4,675. I paid $5,000 for it, and I've driven it for several years. I said, okay, it's a deal. Well, then I'm preaching out in uh, Arkansas, and this preacher friend of mine, apparently he's been in some accidents. He said, you know, they sell those vans. I said, they do? He said, yeah, you can buy it. I said, I can buy my van back? Yeah. So I called him. I got this lady. I, I told her what was going on. She said, yeah, we're going to sell the van. I said, how much? She said, $624. I said, is that the best you can do? She said, I'll call you back tomorrow. She called me back the next day. She said, $524. I sold it to my son-in-law for $500. cost me $24. And I got my bill paid. The Lord will take care of you. 
I was pastoring up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I, I'm going to get to the seven and eight. You think I forgot. I haven't. I'm getting there. Just let an old man ramble a minute. I was pastoring up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We, we're right next to the Luce County Park, L-U-C-E, Luce County. We had a burning barrel because we were too cheap to get, to, to get uh, people to come in and, you know, take off the garbage. And so we'd burn all our garbage out there, and we had this big barrel, and it had a pipe on it, and it had a spark arrester across the top of it. Well, I didn't know it, but the spark arrester had burned through. So I went out there one day, and I started the papers on fire, and I went into my I stood out there a while and did due diligence. And then I went into my office, and I sat down and studied, and my wife called me on the phone. She said, Brian, did you burn the papers? I said, yeah. She said, there's an awful lot of smoke over there. I said, well, I burned the garbage. She said, no, there's more smoke than just garbage burning. So I went out there, and a spark had jumped out of the top of that, and it had set the county park on fire. Now, from that end of the tent to that end is how far it was from the water spigot on the house to where the park was. And at this time, I was 50, well, I was 48 probably, and I was trying to run back and forth with buckets of water, put that fire on, I like to kill myself. And so pretty soon, pretty soon, the, the fire engine shows up. And the firemen, and they put the fire on it, and probably, probably a little size about this section of seats right here had burned, and now the fire's out, you know, and I'm standing there thinking, man, I'm glad this is out. And then the DNR man came up. He's wearing his uniform. He said, now, what's going on here? And they said, well, there's, we've had a fire. We've had to put the fire out. He looked around. He said, who set the fire? I said, me? I did. Who are you? I said, I'm pastor of the church. He said, oh, pastor. He said, I don't want to give you a ticket, but I have to. He said, if I don't give you a ticket and I give somebody else a ticket, they'll want to know how come I didn't give you a ticket. I've got to give you a ticket. I said, well, I set the fire. Give me the ticket. So he gave me the ticket. So I said, now what do I do? That He said, you call down to the courthouse and tell them I gave you a ticket and find out what to do. I said, okay. So I figured, you know, they're going to say send so much money, pay your ticket. So I called the courthouse. I get this woman on the phone, and I said, I'm Pastor McBride of the Lakefield Baptist Church. She said, are you the preacher that set the county park on fire? I said, yes, ma'am, that's me. I said, I want to pay my ticket. She said, oh, you can't just pay your ticket. I said, what do you mean? She said, you have to come stand before the judge. I said, stand before the judge. She said, you got to come to court and stand before the judge. I said, okay. When do I come? She said, come tomorrow, right after lunch. So I went in the next day after lunch. I came in. There's a lady. I don't know if it's the same lady or not. I said, I'm Pastor McBride from the Lakefield Baptist Church. You know what she said? She looked at me. She said, are you the pastor that set the county park on fire? I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I'm supposed to see the judge. She said, well, go into the courtroom around the corner and sit there and wait. Now, I've been in courtrooms before, but I was never the defendant. And a courtroom looks different when you're the defendant. And I'm sitting there in that big old courtroom all by myself, just, just waiting, and nobody comes, and nobody comes, and nobody comes. I probably sat there three hours. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe two. It seemed like four days. But I was there a little while, and nobody came. So I went out. Now there's a different lady at the desk. I said, ma'am, I've been waiting in the courtroom for the judge. Nobody's come, and I'm wondering what's going on. She said, well, who are you? And I said, I'm Pastor McBride from the Lakefield Baptist Church. She said, are you the pastor that set the county park on fire? I said, that's me. She said, well, the judge has left. He's gone to the dentist. I said, well, is he coming back? She said, I don't think so. 
I said, well, what do I do? She said, I'll call him. So she calls him. I'm listening to her end of the conversation. So she gets on the phone. She calls him in a little while. Yes, yes, sir. I'm here. The Pastor McBride from the Lakefield Baptist Church. Yes, sir. He's the pastor that turned, set the county park on fire. Yes, sir. I'll tell him. She said, $50. So I paid my $50 fine. I thought, this is done with. Two weeks later, I'm sitting in my office. There's a knock on the door. And I open the door, and there stands the DNR man in his uniform. And my heart sunk, and I thought, this is not over. He said, can I come in, Pastor? You remember me? I said, yeah, come on in. He said, uh, Pastor, he said, uh, I didn't want to give you a ticket. He says, the last thing in the world I wanted to do is give you a ticket, but I had to. I said, I understand. You don't have to apologize. I set the fire. I'm, I'm the guilty one. I, I took the, he said, I know that. You didn't fuss with me. You didn't argue with me. You made it easy on me. And he said, I appreciate that. I said, well, you're welcome. He said, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I said, well, I'm glad. He said, and I go to church regularly. I said, well, I'm glad about that. He said, and not only am I a Christian, I go to church, I tithe. I said, well, that's good. I, you ought to tithe. He said, I not only tithe, I support missions. I said, well, I'm glad. I'm proud of you. He said, and sometimes after I tithe and support missions, I have extra money left over. I said, well, that's good. And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a $100 bill. And he said, the Lord told me to give you this. You know what? I made $50 setting the county park on fire. <laughs> if you pay an amateur athlete, he becomes a professional. I may be a professional arsonist. Now, listen to me. I could go on and on and on and on and just tell you about different ways that God has blessed me and taken care of me over the years. Now, sometimes he doesn't do it the way you'd expect. Sometimes he doesn't do it when you expect. Sometimes he's teaching you to have some patience. But he always gives, and he promised that he would do that. He promised he would give us, and it just takes a little patience. So he gives, or we give, and he gives back, and then we give again. It's kind of like opening up a faucet. When you give, you open the faucet, and now the water's coming out, and you're going to start handing the water out. You don't want to stop giving and turn the faucet off. You give, God gives, and you give, and God gives, and you give, and God gives. But what about that next verse? The context is giving. The consequence is getting. But that next verse is a command. Now look what he says, verse 2. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. Now, if you study Bible numerology, numbers in the Bible have a meaning. And seven is a number you're going to read again and again and again and again and again and again in your Bible. Six days God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day He finished, He was finished and He rested. The old in the book of Revelation, you'll find the number seven involved with the words, it is finished. You'll find the number seven involved with the words, it is done. It is God's perfect number, God's finishing number. Probably the seven that most of us, the Bible tells us that the word of God is purified. How many times? 
Seven times. But the one probably that most of us are familiar with, how many times did the children of Israel, how many days, not times, but how many days did the children of Israel march around Jericho? Seven days. And what happened on that seventh day? The walls came down. Seven is God's finishing number, his completed number. Seven. What is the number eight? I could give you a whole, uh, let me give you this one. The children of Israel, when God would establish the priesthood, he told, he told Aaron and his sons to go into the tabernacle and remain there how many days? Seven days. While he consecrated them and separated them under the ministry of the priests. Seven days. Because seven is his number of finishing. What's the number eight? It's the number of new beginnings. On the eighth day was when the Hebrew boy was to be circumcised. On the eighth day, the firstborn was offered up unto God, showing that God, that their life belonged unto God. After seven days in the tabernacle, on the eighth day, God told them to come out and he established the priesthood and the glory of God moved into the camp. So seven is the number of ending, finishing, completing. Eight is the number of new beginnings. All right, now think of what he just said. Give a portion to seven. That's the ending number. And also to eight. You'll find this terminology throughout the Bible. That you find it in Proverbs. There be three things, yea, four. He's going beyond. Now here's the command. I believe what he's saying to us is our problem is We're always looking for a finishing place. Here's what we say in our heart. I have done enough. I've gone far enough. I've done what's reasonable. I've done what's possible. I've done all I can. Nobody can expect me to do any more. I've been to seven. So God said, don't look for an ending place. Look for a starting place. Instead of spending our lives saying, well, nobody could ask me to do more than that. Let's say, okay, I've been to the, I've been as far as I can go in my natural strength. Now I'm going on. I'm going further. I'm going to go beyond. Now, in the Bible, we find people all the time wanting to stop at seven. Remember Peter, Matthew chapter 18? Matthew chapter 18, Jesus has been talking about offenses, uh, people that cause trouble. He talks about, I believe he's talking about how to do things in the church. He said, if a man, if he trespass against your offense, you said, you go, you tell him his fault. If he won't hear you, take a witness. If he won't hear the witnesses, tell it to the church. If he won't hear the church, let him be a heathen and a publican. So he's been talking about offenses. When it gets all done, uh, Matthew 18, Peter walks up. You remember? And Peter says to him, now remember what Jesus has been talking about, offenses. Peter says to him, Lord, how oft shall my brother trespass against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I think he said it like this. I'm willing to go seven. Lord, aren't I not something? I'm willing to give him seven opportunities to get right. Lord, I don't guess everybody else would be willing to do that, but I'm willing to go seven. I think he was proud of himself. And you know, that's what the Jewish rabbis taught. Seven offenses, and that was it. You were done. 
You had to forgive seven times. So I think Peter's got that in his mind. Lord, I'm willing to go seven. What was Jesus' answer? Was it, my Peter, aren't you, aren't you, aren't you a wonderful man? Aren't you a magnanimous soul? He said, I say not unto thee till seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, wait a minute. He wasn't saying to Peter, now keep a record. And when they get to 400 and 88, tell him, you only got a couple more times left now. No, he was saying, Peter, there is no limit. He's saying, go beyond what you think is the limit. Go beyond what you think is far enough. Go beyond what you think anybody has the right to ask you. Go beyond it. I don't know why the preacher, I don't know how the preacher expects me to come to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, Wednesday night. Hey, go beyond. Go beyond. I don't know how the Lord expects me to tithe 10% and then give to missions and then special offerings. Go beyond. I don't know how. I don't know how they expect me to forgive them after what they've done. Go beyond. Go beyond. Go beyond. Over in the book of Luke, our brother's in the book of Luke, and over in the book of Luke, I think it's chapter 17, uh, there's another parable following that parable about, the, uh, about that, that public and the Pharisee, and it's about the servant, you remember? And the servants, let me read it to you. I wrote some of it down. It said, but which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unfaithful profitable servants we have done that which was our duty to do you know what he's saying go beyond the duty go beyond what's reasonable go beyond what is expected go beyond and you say preacher why why would I why should I When Paul was talking in Corinthians about the Macedonians giving, he said an unusual thing. He said, I bear them record. Listen to me now. That according to their power, and yea, beyond their power. What was he saying? He was saying they came to the limit of their ability and the limit of their power. They came to seven and they were unwilling to stop there. And he said they ended up giving beyond what they had the power to do. Can I ask you a question? Aren't you tired of what you can do? Aren't you tired of just going so far and operating in the power of the flesh and your own ability and going as far as you can go? Wouldn't you like to see something that's beyond your power? Wouldn't you like to see a move of God that's unexplainable? That you can't stand back and say, boy, we did that. That was because of what we, no, no, no. We want to see God do something that is beyond human explanation. But the only way that happens is if we get beyond seven 
If we say, I'm, gonna, I'm not stopping here. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I know this is what I was told to do. I know this is what I'm able to do. But I'm not stopping here. I'm going to go beyond. I'm going to give more. I'm going to go more. I'm going to love more. I'm going to forgive more. I'm going to witness more. I'm going to tell more. I'm going to be more faithful. I'm going to go beyond even what I'm able to do. And when we do that, here's what we're going to find out. We're going to find out what God can do. I already know what I can do. I'm limited. I can't get very far. I'd like to find out what he can do. I'd like to see him do some things that I'd just have to stand back and say, I don't know about that. I can't explain that. I've seen, I've seen in these years, I've seen men do things. I've seen their capabilities. I've seen their talents. I've seen their abilities. I tell you what I'm hungry for tonight. I'm hungry to see what God can do. I'm hungry to see God's power. I'm hungry to see God go beyond. But he won't tell we do. We're going to have to go beyond. I was talking to a fellow out in Missouri. He'd just been through missions conference. He said, preacher, I was in missions conference, and I was praying about what to give to missions. And he said, I'm telling you, preacher, God, I didn't hear any voices, but God laid on my heart a sum that was impossible. It was impossible for me to give it and to pay my bills and feed my family. It was an impossibility. But he said, as sure as I'm standing here, God laid it on my heart. Said, I worked in a place. I had one man above me. There was, he's the same, about the same age as I am. There's no chance for promotion, no chance to go further. He said, I'm at the top. And he said, it was an impossible sum, but God told me. And he said, I, I pledged it. He said, a few weeks after I pledged it, that man that was about the same age as I am that was above me announced his early retirement out of the blue. And he said, he retired, and I got moved up to his spot. He said, I got not only a raise in my position, but I got a raise in my pay that more than covered what I had promised that would have been an impossibility and took care of it. You know what he found out? He found out what God can do. Wouldn't you like to find out what God could do? Wouldn't you like to see the power of God? Wouldn't you like to find out exactly how far God can go, exactly what he can do in the lives of your family, doing your finances and your, and your forgiveness and your soul winning in your church and every area of your life? Wouldn't you like to see what God can do? Well, the only way you're going to see it is if you get past what you can do. Go beyond. Now, there's one more phrase, and if I don't deal with it, you're going to leave the tent and say, now, Brother McBride skipped over that part. So let me deal with it before we go. Because he ends in this verse saying, For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Why would he put that on the end of there? All right, let, let's talk about it in a minute. I, I drive down the road and here's what I see. Sister so-and-so. Palm reader. Psychic hotline. You know what they're saying? They're saying they can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I got news for you. They can't. Don't waste your money. They don't know. But I'll tell you the honest truth. I'm not sure I want to know. Because though I don't know what's coming tomorrow, I do know one thing. That man that is born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And I know one thing's coming around. Trouble. 
and evil. Now look at me. You say, preacher, I'm well set for tomorrow. I got my nest egg. Put my money aside. Got my plans made. Here's when I'm going to retire. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how we're going to make. Here's how we're going to make ends meet. I'm set for tomorrow. I got news for you, friend. You have no idea what's coming tomorrow. One phone call when you leave this tent tonight could change all of your plans for the rest of your life. F.B. Meyer said all of us live our lives as though it were a circus. And when I read that, I thought, yeah, some more than others. And he said, we think we're the ringmaster, and we tell this, this act to come in and that act to go, and we're in charge. And he said, then someday, one day somebody leaves the, the door open on the cage where the lion lives. And the lion comes strolling into the ring, and the ringmaster finds out he's not in charge after all. You know what? The lion's going to come strolling into your life one of these days. And I don't care how ready you think you are. You won't be ready. There's only one person that can take care of your tomorrow. And that's the Lord. So you know what I want to happen? You know what I want to happen in my tomorrow? And I want to be careful. I want to be judicial. All of that stuff. I understand that. I'm not talking about being a fool. I'm talking about following God and going beyond. Here's what I want. When tomorrow the evil comes that's coming, whenever it comes, I want God. I don't want him to just do enough to help me. I want him to go beyond when he helps me. So I think I'll plan on reaping what I sow, and I'll just go ahead and go beyond with him now and expect him to go beyond with me when my trouble comes. I think I'll trust him. I think I'll lay up some treasures in heaven because I don't know what's coming. I'm asking you tonight to go beyond. I'm not just talking about your finances, though I am talking about your finances. Wouldn't there be some young person under this tent tonight, some young person that's saved by the grace of God, you know God saved your soul, and you're concerned about souls, and you know there's people need to be saved. Maybe tonight, maybe tonight God's dealing with your heart, and you wouldn't be content just to go down the street. You'd want to go beyond and go across the water. Maybe there'd be some young man tonight. You, got, you felt the tug of God on your heart to be a preacher. And you, you said, well, I don't have the ability to talk. And I, I don't have that personality. And I, I don't have. Why don't you just say, I'm going to go beyond my ability and go beyond my personality. If God wants me to preach, I'm going to surrender. And I'm going to preach. I still believe in a call to, the, call to preach. And I'm going to just surrender to the call of God on my life. And I'm going to go beyond and find out what God could do with somebody like me. Couldn't we just tonight say, Lord, we're tired of finding out what we can do. We'd like to get a good glimpse of what you can do in our lives and in our church and in our neighborhoods and in our family. And so, Lord, we're, we're not looking for a place to quit. I read a fellow one day, and Jesus said this. He said, if they compel you to go a mile... Go with them twain. 
And so I was reading this fellow, and he said that the Jews would drive stakes so that if they were compelled to go a mile, they'd know exactly how far they had to go, and they wouldn't go one step further. I'm afraid that's what we've done with God. We drove a stake down. And we said, now, Lord, I'm willing to go that far. But I can't go any further than that. I can't do any more than that. I'll tell you what would be good tonight. If down at an old-fashioned altar, we just get on our knees and pull up all our stakes and say, Lord, I'm going to go beyond, and I'm going to find out what you're able and willing to do in my life. I want to find out what you're capable of, God. I want, to, I want to find out what you can do. I'm tired of stopping at my limit and my stake. I want to go on. So I'm wondering tonight, if there's anybody under this tent who has a hunger in their heart to see what it is that God would do if we just purpose to go further. Got any hunger to see him work, to experience his power and his glory? I'm going to go beyond, Lord. I'm pulling up all my stakes. I want to find out what you're able to do. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Maybe there'd be somebody who'd want to come tonight and bow a knee at an altar. And say, Lord, no more limits. No more, uh, no more stakes. N no more of that, Lord. Lord, in my heart, I'm yearning and crying out and hungering to see what you're capable of and what you can do. And I'm willing to go beyond. I'm willing to go on to eight. Take my life, Lord. Just take it. Just take it. Here, I, here it is. I'll give it to you. I want to see what you can do, Lord. Father, I pray you'd help us in this invitation. We are too often satisfied with our limits. And we spend our life in the natural when we could have experienced the supernatural. So I pray you help us tonight. Pull up all the stakes. Go beyond all our sevens, all our finishing places. And find out what you're able to do in our life. I believe you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. So help us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand a moment. There's folks at the altar praying. Our brother's going to lead us in a song. If God dealt with your heart, you come tonight. You come bow the knee. You say, preacher, I've been to the altar before and prayed about that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Limits. Won't you go beyond that tonight? Won't you say, Lord, I'm not holding anything back. No limits with me. I want to find out what you're able to do. While our brother leads us, you just obey him tonight.